0: I think I must have uh, drove drove my parents and my teachers crazy. I've always had more questions than answers. Uh, I've always had lots of questions, and we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about Christmas questions. And there are all kinds of Christmas questions. There are some humorous Christi- Christmas questions 101. and tongue uh, twister one hundred and one. And I wanted to share some of those with you. I'm going to. The next couple weeks, I'm going to share them as well. Gary, you're going to like these. You're going to want a copy, right? Okay, so what did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. (laughs) What do snowmen eat for breakfast? Oh, come on, both the first two services, somebody got it. Snowflakes, right? Snowflakes. What do you call a man who claps at Christmas? Santa applause. Oh, come on. I'm saving the best for last. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to preach about 30 minutes longer for you. What goes red, white, red, white, red, white? Santa Claus rolling down a hill. But that's not the last one. This you're gonna like it. Y'all get your pen out. You want to write this down? Why is Christmas just like a day at the office? You do all the work and the fat guy in the suit gets all the credit. <laughs> this guy sounds like this church, doesn't it? Hey, I'm not that fat. Humorous questions. There'll be more to come. There are also irritating questions I have. But particularly this Christmas, I'm irritated. I am irritated because there is a movie calling out, coming out called Krampus, which is a Christmas horror movie. Why? Listen, I want you all to all do me a favor. Don't go see that. Don't give the movie makers any incentive to make another one. And then our purpose, there are more serious questions. You see, I, I think that our culture has influenced the church more than how it should be the church influencing the culture. I I think that we can very easily lose sight of the reason that we celebrate the Christmas holiday. Lots of people who don't believe in Jesus celebrate Christmas and thereby obscuring the meaning. Even those of us who would call ourselves evangelical Christians. Friends, we're being uh, tempted to water down our faith, to water down the essentials that the Bible teaches us that we need to believe. In fact, it's been 13 years ago, or 12, 12 years ago now, <clears throat> George Barna did a survey of evangelical Christians, and these were their responses. Now, this is 12 years ago. I, I think the changes have probably... Uh, they've they probably changed these answers and not for the better. 26% believe all religions are basically equal. Let's about evangelical Christians. 50% believe that good works will get you to heaven. 35% do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 45% do not believe that Satan exists. 33% accept same-sex marriage. say it's okay to live together before marriage 12 years ago. Say those numbers have gotten more wishy-washy. So I think it's a good idea for the first question we ask this Christmas is, why did Jesus come? Why did he come? See, I believe he came to change the world. We often talk about changing the world, but... Jesus literally changed the whole concept, the whole equation of life. What do I mean by that? Let's look at it by looking at a couple different passages. First, we're, we're going to look at Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And then we're going to look in Hebrews, where the writer to Hebrews quotes Psalm uh, to, uh, Psalm 8 rather, and, and makes it uh, apply and shows us how it applies to Jesus. But the first thing I want to say to you in response to that question, why did Jesus come, is that we were made for greatness. I'm talking about we humans, men and women, we were made for greatness. Psalm 8 says, What is mankind? That you're mindful of them. Human beings, that you care for them. It's written by David, addressed to God. In other words, why is it that you care? about people why is it that you want to be in relationship with them you want to be close to them you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor is that not greatness just a little lower in the book of Genesis it says we were created in God's image we were made like God not as much as God but uh, God gives us intelligence he gives us compassion He gives us sensitivity, all attributes, I think, that God has that that he gives to us. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So on this world, God gave us dominion. In this world, uh, God enabled mankind uh, to be in charge of managing uh, the creation, whether it is the, the oceans and the land whether it's the animals and the fish and the birds, God, because he believed in us, because he created us in his image, because we were made for greatness, God gave us all of that responsibility and privilege. But what happens? In making us in his image, God also gave us free will. That is, he gave us the capacity to make our own decisions, to choose what we want to do. And the sad fact is this, that we, because of our flesh nature, we choose often to not do what God wants us to do, or to do what God doesn't want us to do. You see, God made us for greatness, but we make a mess of things. The second reason that Jesus had to come, we make a mess out of things. Maybe you, like I, wonder sometimes as you look back at your life, why in the world did I choose to do that? Or oftentimes our bad consequences, the bad things in our life have come over a series of repeated choices to not do what God wants us to do or to do what God wants us to do. We're all alike in this. No matter where you were born, no matter what gender you are, no matter what socioeconomic class you are, we are all alike in this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were like psalmate. They're a little lower than the angels. They're walking around in this paradise. They have no concept of, of nakedness even. They have no concept of, of not walking with God. But then they use that free will to choose to taste of the fruit of the tree, and mankind fell. A scene that's repeated over and over in our lives, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're destined and made for greatness, but we fall short. We make a mess out of things. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. The consequences of sin are far-reaching. The consequence of sin, the wages of sin, is death. You've heard me say before, I will say again through the years, death comes in many ways. It's not just physical death. And when we're talking about in terms of eternal punishment, though that is true. It is the death, it is the pain we cause as we choose to do what we want to do. Just this past week, if you've been reading or keeping up with the news, we have a a guy shoot up a Planned Parenthood clinic because he opposes abortion. That's not the way to do it. That is sin, to take life. We have in California a husband and wife kill 14 people and wound many others in a place that serves people with special needs. Their sin brings death of many kinds and in many forms. Just like my sin has negative consequences on others. All of us, we make these things happen. We make our selfish, short-sighted choices and it brings pain and death. Robert Frost wrote, "Nature's first green is gold." In other words, creation is gold. Creation is beautiful. Everything made in its image is great. Her heart is too to hold her early life's her early leaves of flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf. So Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today, nothing gold can stay. We were all made to be golden. Gold is one of the most precious metals. It fetches at this time about $1,200 an ounce. It is beautiful to behold. But if gold is surrounded by dirt and mud, it's tarnished, isn't it? Just like in our lives, we who are made for greatness make choices that tarnish us. Nothing gold can stay. I think Robert Frost is saying we make a mess out of things. The great news is that Jesus came to restore us. That's why Jesus came. He came to restore us. <laughs> he came to clean us up. He came to purify and varnish us, if you will. Three ways I think I would, I would say that. Three facts about him coming that I want to share with you. First, the Bible tells us that he had to become like us. He had to become like us for this to happen, for this to, to be effective. He had to lay aside his deity for a time. I, I like to imagine his conversation with the father. You know, the father says, that it's time, Jesus, time, son, for you to, to go down and be one of them. It's time for you to, to I mean, they have no other hope. They've proven, uh, I mean, they've taken my prophets and rejected them, and they've taken my, my law and, and trampled over it. They, I tell them not to go out their false gods, and they do it anyway. Uh, there's no other plan. There's no plan B. Jesus, you've got to go down there and be like them. I'd be like, no way. But because Jesus loved you and me, he said, yeah, I'll go. And the Bible says it's encouraging to me. The Bible says he became like us in every way. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus laid aside his deity for the 33 years he was on earth, beginning with his birth in the manger. Why? to become like us, to identify with us, to show us that God knows what it's like to be tempted. And yet Jesus, because he was the Son of God, did not sin. Now, I don't believe this side of heaven you'll ever be able to become perfect, to always resist the temptation to sin. But I do believe uh, that with Jesus' help, with supernatural help, I think we can become much more effective at resisting temptation. Jesus became like us. He became like us. That's why he came. He tasted death for us. So what it says there in this passage is the writer to Hebrews takes all of this and makes sense of it. It reads like this. And I'm sorry, Becky, I got out of order. Can you go back to the Hebrews passage? But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A Son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them in glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. We've all read that before. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. That's the interpretation of of the writer of Hebrews, and then he applies Psalm 8 to Jesus. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, sin demanded a punishment. And we learned before, as we talked about Romans, that the consequences of sin is death. But that death would not accomplish what God's heart is. God's heart is to relate to us, to be in relationship with us. He, our Father, we, His sons and daughters. And so He gave Jesus this task to taste death, to take on the death, to be the substitutionary atonement for our sins, to make sure we could be forgiven and restored. We could be, uh, as we repent, We could be redeemed before him. Then Jesus tasted that death for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I can say to you, if there was no Christmas, if there was no birth of Jesus, there would be no hope for any of us. It is not just about presents and parades and lights. It is about the very future of all of the world, beginning with each one of us. There is no hope without Jesus because only one who was God could be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitutionary atonement to bring us back. Into fellowship with God. 1 Peter 2.24 says uh, something that's very complimentary. He himself uh, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Righteousness is in both of those verses. What's the purpose? God wants to restore us. God wants to wash us off and purify us for a purpose. To walk with him to live righteously in this life that we have. That's why it tells us in another place, Jesus, as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that we're to be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs it. The world goes about and and celebrates Christmas without knowing the meaning and the message. It's so up to us to embrace that ourselves and then to share that. In the way that we live, in the way that we speak, Jesus wanted to rescue us. He came, finally, to make us great again. He came to make us part of the mission. He came to give us purpose, that not only are we to embrace salvation and forgiveness ourselves, but but we're to, to live out those values in a community. We're to build the kingdom of God. Romans 8 is kind of a hard passage to understand, particularly verses 18 through 21, but I, I think it, it says what I'm, what I'm trying to bring to you here. <coughs> it says that I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be re- revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation uh, for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What that says is the, the whole world suffers because of our sin. It's not just people. It's not just relationships. But as the plan of this substitutionary atonement, as this death, comes, life can flourish again, the change can be lifted, the children of God can be revealed, the children of God can have their work and their ministry and bring many with them. <laughs> That's the definition for me of greatness. Jesus said it, he of you who wants to be great needs to be the servant. And who wants to be the greatest of all needs to be the servant of all. And how do you be great? No greater love hath a man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus showed us the way. He showed us how to be great. I don't think dramatically all of us are called to die for someone else. But symbolically, figuratively, as you Sacrifice your time and your energy, your efforts to serve others. You're showing the greatness of God. 1983, a movie came out. I was 20. I remember seeing this movie. It was very impactful for me. Now, I'm not recommending the movie because I don't remember. And back then when I was 20, I wasn't nearly what I am now. So if the language was bad, I wouldn't have noticed. S.E. Hinton wrote the book upon which the movie is based, The Outsiders. Now, uh, it's far too complex for me to tell you the whole movie plot, but I want to tell you this. The the central relationship in the movie is between two boys, teenagers, Ponyboy and Johnny. And they're part of a gang. This gang has an arch enemy gang, and they're dealing with one another, and and in this conflict, Johnny ends up accidentally, with a knife, killing one of the other boys. And so they go on the run. Oklahoma is where the book is set, 1965. They have the electric chairs, capital punishment. And they go on the run. They hide out in an abandoned church. In this abandoned church, uh, they are living on the lamb. And toward twilight one night, they go out and, and see the most beautiful of sunsets, the whole sky is golden. And Johnny talks about how beautiful it is and and how life can be, understanding that if they go back to civilization, they'll have to face punishment, even death for their crimes. And Pony Boy quotes, Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold or early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides the leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today, nothing gold can stay. What he's saying is, we had all this life, and now, because of death, it's gone away. Well, they go out for food, to get some food, and they come back and and some children have come to play in the abandoned church building and, and somehow a fire has been set, the, the, fire, the church is burning, and these gang members, heroically, go in to save the kids at the cost to Johnny of a broken back and severe burns on his body. When I say heroically, they go back in. And they know if they go in and help these children, then it's very likely they'll have to face the consequences for their crimes, yet they go in anyway. Probably the climax of the movie is a conversation Pony Boy and Johnny have in the hospital room as Johnny is about to die. And Johnny tells Pony to stay gold. <clears throat> After Johnny passes away, They find in a book that they'd both been reading, Gone with the Wind, Ponyboy finds a letter from Johnny. And in it, Johnny says, I gladly sacrificed my life to save those children. Out of death comes life. Now, this is not a Christian book, but I take it along with this poem by Frost I've been sharing with you to to help you to understand this. And to see this, that we tarnish our gold. And it appears as if nothing gold can stay. And I will tell you, often we try to clean ourselves up. We try to work our way into God's approval. We try to buy our way into God's approval. But none of that works. It's only by God's grace. It's only by the coming of Jesus And us believing in that, us having faith in him that we can be saved, that what is gold can come back. The only way to stay gold is to be walking hand in hand with Jesus, led by his spirit. I say this to you, perhaps who are not a Christian today. God loves you. God is mindful of you. He cares about you. He made you for greatness. But to have greatness, you have to die to self. Out of death comes life. Out of the cross comes greatness. That which is gold can be restored. That's why Jesus had to come. as we think about these things today. I pray for us, maybe if we need to make that decision, that we'll have the, the courage to die to self. But for others of us who have been Christians, it's an ongoing battle to surrender our will, to surrender control of our lives, very easy to become selfish and out of selfishness comes death but I pray Father as we listen today as we go into this season we see that Jesus who came who died will help us to die to self and live for life Father, thank you that we can be golden again. I pray that you'll work on us this week. I pray, Father, that we'll be walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen.